I've discovered hoppy session ales. So okay. I, I'm drinking this thing from Wicked Weed in Asheville, uh, North Carolina called Napoleon Complex. And it's incredible. I, I don't know how else to describe it. It's just as as like an IPA fiend and I guess really the bane of anybody that likes like stouts and porters. This is <laughs> just enough outside of, of that that I think that traditional beer drinkers would, would go for it. What are what are you drinking? So, what so is, it's a hoppy it? session, but it's not like an IPA hoppy. Is what right. Saying. So so okay. you know you know session ales are for for those that don't know that are listening for anybody that isn't like a beer nut or even like privy to the world of beer, a session ale is a traditionally lighter version of something else. It's meant so that you can drink several of them over the course of a session. So like session IPAs are a thing, session porters are a thing. Um, Okay, so session is just referring to it's not like a, it's a certain type of beer. Right. It's it's, it's a it specifically okay. means lower alcoholic content. Oh. So anyway, that's been my thing here lately. So that and then there was a a seasonal double IPA from Dogfish Head called Squall IPA that uh I was able to to hunt down at my local uh beer joint and it was pretty incredible as well. Nice. Well, I've continued my attempts to try and and get over my IPA issues. And uh, that Easy Jack IPA from Firestone, I sent you a picture of it. Yeah. Um, I've actually gone through a 12-pack of it now in the last week, which yes. is totally unheard of for me. Yeah. To be able to consume that much IPA and not want to commit suicide. Well, that's how so, it happens. That's how you get yeah. into hops. And <laughs> it, it's just one of those things. It's, it's outside of a comfort zone. And, you know, it's, it's so easy when you're drinking to develop that go-to, right? With, with anything that you, like, consume that's, like, food or beverage, right? There's sure. always that, like, go-to. And getting outside of that comfort zone can be scary. But when you do it and you discover something new and you actually discover that you like that thing that you discovered, then you're in good shape and you like yourself for it. Yeah, the only thing I want to make sure is I don't want to get pigeonholed into this being the only IPA I drink. <laughs> oh, yeah, please don't. I want to make sure I try other IPAs so that when I say I, I can consume IPAs that I'm not referring to just one IPA. <laughs> I, I've been trying to branch out into porters lately because that's my my least enjoyed, I guess, style of beer. Um, well, I, I really don't like Pilsners, but I don't drink any Pilsners because I don't like Pilsners. Porters, I like some and I dislike some. Um and it was sad because the the porter that got me into porters was this one from Breckenridge Brewery called uh, just uh, their vanilla their vanilla porter, and they just got bought by uh, AB InBev, the uh, parent company to Anheuser Anheuser Busch, which really sucks and makes me doesn't sad. mean it's gonna get bad. It does, but, you know, there are lots of alcohol companies that are owned by Jim Beam, but and it means they still that, make perfectly good bourbon. <laughs> okay, but that being the case, like it's the premise of the revenue that they generate supporting something that I hate. Right. Sure. Okay, that's fair. Like when when we were talking to to Conexa earlier, and I was thinking about buying a pair of headphones. And, you know, for those that don't know, Kanixa works at Best Buy, and he lives in Canada. And he's like, well, I could get you $100 off. And I was like, well, how much Canadian tax do I have to pay? He's like, well, less than, less than the U.S. amount of tax. I was like, yeah, I think you're missing the point here. I don't want to support your government. <laughs> and part of that was out of spite, and part of that was just, like, me being an asshole. Anyway. You never All right, so we've done... We, we, we already own Canada as it is anyway, so it's okay. We, we've done a bad job of, 
of introducing our guest this week and potential new co-host. You know, I guess this is a trial run for all I of us. I don't know. That might be. I might be jumping the gun. Let's jump we'll the gun. see. I don't. I'm drinking water right now, so I don't know. If, if, <laughs> oh, okay. If, uh, we'll get you. We'll get you there. So everybody, so but this drink is, Bud Light then. Good to know. Wow. This is this is we call him Murdoch, um, but his real name is Wyatt. Yeah, you can just call me Wyatt. Yeah. I mean, I'll probably end up calling you Murdoch just because that's what I always call that's you. Fine. <laughs> that's absolutely. Kind of go by our gamer tags because we were internet friends and then we became real friends and it's just this weird, this weird, I don't know. Not thing. even. It's not even weird. I mean, when you sleep together, it's not that weird. Yeah, you get used to <laughs> it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why? Why? It's all tell, about body warmth. Tell the people something about you, and then I'll go into sort of the the meta description for what this podcast has become and yeah. kind of how we want to move forward. Uh, I am a design engineer for a solar company. Uh, I'm not sure if we'll name that or not. Maybe, maybe uh, later. Uh, I Let like, the people find uh, out later. Yeah, maybe, maybe yeah. you'll find out later. Stick around. Uh, I'm pretty technically minded. I do a lot of um, building and designing kind of things in my in my hobby time, along with playing video games with these schlubs. Other than that, I'm pretty much uh, a douchebag. Pretty. So you're just like us. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah I think that's why you actually had me on the show this week. Yeah. Alright, in the in the pre show, I didn't even realize how like organically this came together, but this is like the technology trifecta. Mm. I was like, we have an IT person, we have a programmer, and now we have an engineer. Mm. Right. This is true. Mm. We got the triple take. Yeah. It's like we if we go. had Gobi here, we would have security, but then we'd also have to deal with him. <laughs> yeah. So we're better off without him. <laughs> and anytime Gobi records, there's always weird noises in the background, like Rat kids making bagel bites in the damn microwave, or girls His taking showers. Shower. At least you're not dealing with my stepdad's cartoons. Uh, hopefully those are going to be on the podcast, but they are. Uh, it's it's Justice League. Hentai. It's Justice League. Don't worry. <laughs> well, well, shout out to young Russell who isn't here to little Gobi. He's at a hackathon. Last he messaged me, they were in the top five. So. We'll see what happens there. He built a, a home automation app or a home automation sensor and then a software companion to go with it, which I thought was kind of interesting. But anyway, huh. super cool. So, boys, this week, I kind of want... there. We, we have a wide range of topics, like spanning spanning a few different things. And the first thing I wanted to get into um, was the Apple Watch. And the only reason I say that is because it's been a little over a year since it was released, and there's been a lot of buzz on the internet about that lately because it has been out for a year. So there's been the obligatory, you know, this has been my year's experience with this thing post. And there's been a lot, quite a bit of hot takes on that are really just kind of all over the map, honestly. Um, and when I say all over the map, I mean some people have just gone from saying, like, this is a thing for me to this is not a thing for me. And... Uh, again, I wanted to bring this up because Art, I know you have strong feelings about anything you place on your wrist, and as as somebody who wasn't really a watch wearer before I got an Apple Watch, uh, I'd kind of like to delve into the things that have, I don't know, pushed me into being a watch wearer, and then I don't know what Murdoch's watch situation is. Oh, you'll find out. I guess I guess we'll find out. You will find so out. he the, likes to watch is his situation. Oh, damn, my, for the most part. I was trying to lead into a peeping Tom joke, but. my hot take is that all right so like before the apple watch question yeah is is there a a apple watch 2 coming out like since it's been a year do we know if apple has something in the works for a next gen 
Well, so the, the idea here is, and this is a super important thing and definitely one of the biggest cons in, in the, the negative side of the argument for, towards the Apple Watch, right? So it's that the hardware is not very good. And right. not very good as in it doesn't look good, but it's, it's slow. Um, and, and that's both a hardware and a software thing, specifically because, you know, it's, it has a full fleshed out app platform, but the hardware cannot run those apps very, very well. Like, right. to like check weather and whatnot on it, it, it takes like a good five or six seconds to load up. And in that time, someone could just pull out their phone. So the, the, um, what, from what I've been reading, Apple is not going to be on a yearly refresh cycle with this. And to counter that, they've been releasing a ton of new accessories for it, right? So that magnetic charging dock came out not too long ago. I want to say like three or four months ago um, at their their last event where they announced, um, they, they announced new bands. So the watch is very much like a fashion accessory as well as like a technology platform. And I think right now, they're trying to support the fashion accessory piece of that so that they can leave the technology piece of it in the oven for a little bit longer because it's not there yet. Um, and obviously they're going to want to make a meaningful refresh. Um, and, you know, to, to be frankly, to be like as honest as possible, I think that the hardware is fine. Some people think that it's, you know, too thick or, you know, a little bit large uh, and whatnot. I, I personally really like the size of it. I don't mind the design in the slightest. I think it's very unique. Um, I think it's it's very nerdy for sure, but <laughs> I like it. I, I quite like it, you know, so much so that I now own three bands for it. I just ordered the Black Milanese Loop this weekend uh, to have like a dressier one, uh, but I, I've really gotten into it. Uh, I, I wasn't so sure about it when I first got it, but now it's become like an everyday staple of my life. And, you know, the, the whole reason that this even came up, up as a subject that I wanted to talk about is because on Friday, I forgot to wear it to work and it felt so strange. It, it was absolutely strange. I mean, I'm sure, you know, if you wear a watch every day and you forget to do that, then it's, uh, you know, it's pretty commonplace. Like it's, you just feel naked, right? Like you don't have your phone with you, you don't have your watch with you, whatever. But the way that the watch lets me triage notifications super quickly, um, and stay aware of like the emails that are coming in and whether or not and like choose whether or not it's something I want to deal with um, the way I can literally just like flick my wrist up and see what the weather is outside and you know the the dark sky app on there is quite good so I get notifications when it's going to rain or when there's a certain temperature temperature threshold that's going to be hit uh, stuff like that I, I really like and the uh, my my end-all be-all argument for the Apple watch is that Right now, it's not very good, and as a platform, it's not for everybody, but notifications on iOS have traditionally been terrible, so the ability to triage those notifications and stay informed about what's going on without actually acting on them um, and sort of, you know, to delay them, plus the ability of, you know, a traditional watch with the added features of checking the weather and the date and uh, the, the fitness tracking benefits of it, having all that available at a glance is enough for me who enjoy this little piece of hardware. And that's that's sort of where I sit on things. Uh, very much an extension of the iPhone, but at the same time, like the things it it does good, it does really, really good. Um, it, it's a great watch replacement, I think, but uh, the things that it doesn't do good, i.e. hardware and apps, which are kind of like what all Apple's hardware platforms are built on, on 
it it does not do good in the slightest at all <laughs> whatsoever they are fucking slow like when i say they're slow i mean it 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 shouldn't surprise you to take like 12 to 15 seconds to load up an app and i don't mean like a game or anything like that i mean to like click the weather app and to see a three-day forecast yeah kind of nuts so kind of in that same realm i'm a big fan of like a practicality i actually used to wear a watch um and then I realized that I didn't really need it because I was on the computer or I had my phone. I, I, I kept checking my phone anyways, even though I had a watch on. So to me, if it, I don't, I don't own an Apple Watch. My sister has one and she loves it. Uh, but I think wearing it would have to kind of warrant some use. So if you're saying it's kind of slow or, or whatever else, it probably wouldn't be. At least for somebody like me, you know, it doesn't sound like it's it's quite up to speed, uh, quite figuratively and and literally. Right. See, in my my issue with the watch originally when it came out, I mean, number one, I I really like the the like the craftsmanship of a watch. So the watches I own are expensive watches. They're they're not, and, and that's not to say Apple watches aren't inexpensive, uh, but they there's something about them about like wearing a Rolex or wearing a Breitling, you know, that when you have it, it's it's just a really really wonderful piece of craftsmanship. You know, you've spent a lot of money on it. It's something that can become a family heirloom. It really only serves one function. And when the Apple Watch came out, I was like, oh, it's a gimmick. It's a way for Apple to sell more iPhones. And while usually I'm, I'm pretty cool with that because I'm an Apple nerd, like that was one of those things that they went into that I was like, mm, you know, Apple, that that's... I'm not into it. Like, it they, kind they of just... infringed on something that you already traditionally care about. Yes, and, and then I have a, a strong opinion on, yeah. you know, so when when that was the case, I was like, okay, and, and when, like, the metal watches were so much more expensive than the, the rubber watches, and, and I mean, I'm happy to see that companies have come out with third-party bands, and the bands are much more affordable, and they're much nicer, and, uh, you know, I can, I can see a, a stylistic standpoint to a watch, but I don't buy watches for their style necessarily. I buy them for their functionality. You know, I have a Submariner because it will go down, you know, 3,000 feet underwater. You know, I'll never go 3,000 feet underwater, but I might go 15 feet underwater. And to know that my watch is going to survive that without any issue is pretty nice. And, you know, so whereas an iPhone watch, if I like... I would imagine if I even looked at it wrong with a piece with like a glass of water in my hand, it might like fritz out on me. <laughs> uh, it's kind of, gotcha. you're kind of almost in the middle of between Watts and I. I feel like Watts are probably are and I are the probably the two extremes, uh, and then you right. probably sit almost right in the middle. That's what it sounds like. And that yeah, that brings mean... that brings up a good point too. Um, you know the the idea like the notion of a family heirloom and something that could be passed down. Technology nowadays is very much a disposable piece of your life after Extremely. a few years uh, sometimes even you know a few months oh, yeah. uh and you know the watch I, I have no sentimental attraction to this thing right it, it serves a utility for me and that's it but i'm not going to go on a journey and be like this thing has been with me to here to here to here and to here uh that that's never going to be a thing because it's something that i have to charge and i have to take care of whereas you know like a for instance i have a compass from world war one right uh it's dated 1918 on the back and what, what really amazes me about things made in that era is that they were made to last. They weren't made to, to be disposable like so many things are today. Um, and it, it still works incredibly well. Um, you know, it, it's made of bronze, and you know, there's a, a nice patina on it, but 
it's aged very well, it functions very well, and it was made so that somebody could use that for literally a hundred years. And it's it stood that test of time. You know, it's 98 years old. That's that is nuts to me. Mm. And you know, to, to get outside of the realm of the watch, nothing is made that way nowadays. You mm. know, um, really, you know, you think about it. The thing that probably stays in your life the longest, if you're not a homeowner, is your car. Um, outside of that, you know, watches and and pieces of jewelry and and things of that nature. Those are really some of the only things that you can pass down. And say like you know this was my grandfather's or something like that. And yeah. I, I can see that sentimental attachment being you know pretty profound to a lot of folks. You're hitting into a kind of a bigger meta meta topic I think, which is in my my eyes very relevant is a quality over over quantity debate. Or, oh yeah. You know and that kind of thing. I think it's uh, especially nowadays it's all everybody's like well I got this new thing I got this new thing I got this new thing. It's like well how many how many of those things are actually quality. I mean, how, how many of them are well built and, and that kind of thing? We're shifting into a different, you know, kind of a different uh, mind frame. Yeah, the throwaway, recycle and, type of world, for the most and, part. And I guess, I guess for me, the it, it still just doesn't. It for me, it doesn't support enough of a need. There's nothing that it does that like gets me excited about it. You know, I've seen the um, where it has like the gps on your on your wrist where you know you can walk to a, to a place you can say i want to go here you know get your directions on your iphone and then it will tell you to turn left up ahead and turn right up ahead on oh your but you wrist. yeah you still very much need your iphone for those things exactly yeah. and you're still very much tied to that device i mean right. if it got to a point where it was really a standalone device that served like okay a compass a wonderful example of something that that the a you know a watch like that could do telling the time giving you directions taking taking track of your your health statistics you know those are all things that i think an apple watch would be you know very good at i agree but number one it it needs to have decent technology to it it needs to be standalone and it really needs to have decent battery life and i have not seen good battery life statistics on the apple watch i mean how how long until you need to charge your apple watch i generally do two days um you know, I've gotten down to a pretty good rhythm where I, I generally wake up about 6, 6.30. Um, I'm out of the house by around 7.30 or 8. And my watch goes on me when I leave. You know, I don't wear it in the shower or anything like that, obviously. So let's just, you know, for all intents and purposes, say like 7.30. And I get home anywhere between 4.30 and 5.30. And I go for a jog uh, with Evie. And then I eat dinner and whatnot. And I take my watch off anywhere between 8 and 9. And it's around the 50% mark. Um, sure. So, you know, 24 hours is really about what you're looking at. And Whereas you know, my watch doesn't do all the functionality that your watch does, but my watch is nine years old and I've never charged it. You know, yep. it, so <laughs> it's just a different, you know, I, I think totally I think one is. thing that needs to be clarified about the Apple Watch that a lot of people really get stuck in is comparing it to traditional watches when you shouldn't. You know, right. It, it exists in a segment of tech of the tech market called wearables. And it's called that because those are very much a thing. You know, they're, they're, they're other pieces of your life that are meant to extend the existing technology that you very much have to cater to and to charge and to make sure you have to put as much work into it as it gives you information. You know what I mean? It's, it's one of those things that say, do I need to update the software on this thing? Do I need to charge this thing? Oh, no, I lost this thing. And but it, does it really extend your technology abilities or is it just another status symbol that you wear? Uh, it depends. Some of them are definitely status symbols. I oh, think yeah. that the ten thousand dollar ones. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, those are those are super impractical. Something like yeah. a Fitbit, for instance. I feel like that provides people 
uh, additional you know technological functionality into their life to improve themselves the yep. the watch does that for me in in three key ways right so the first thing is notifications uh, I've always as somebody who you know came over from the Android boat um, a few years back I've always hated the way that iOS deals with notifications as compared to Android uh, I don't think that they're very contextual. I don't think that they're smart, and I don't think that they're easily like triaged and dealt with. And what the watch does is makes all of those things possible. If you know an email comes in, I don't have to look at my phone and hit snooze or hit delete or whatever from you know the 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 shitty notification shade that pops up on my lock screen. I can look at my watch. I can swipe down on it. I can hit on it. I can, you know, tap it and hit snooze. It, it, it's so fast. It's so much faster than it is on my phone. Um, and for somebody that, you know, gets a fair amount of emails on a daily basis, um, and as somebody that freelances, and I, I'm getting emails from several clients during the day, as well as from, you know, like my normal job. So me being able to say like, this is important versus this is not very, very quickly as something comes in and buzzes my wrist is incredibly important to me. Uh, the second thing is, again, just like the traditional watch features, um, uh, it, uh, kind of a little segment of that I'd call like watch features plus, meaning, you know, I, I, I pull my wrist up to look at it and I get a view of the weather for the day, I get the date, I get the time, and I get, you know, these little complications at the bottom. One is my calendar. It lets me know if I have an appointment in the next 10 minutes. Um, that's an app called Fantastical. Uh, my watch is battery life. And then the three activity rings, which segues me into the third thing I really like about it is the activity tracking features of it. Um, I try to make sure that I'm active, like up and, you know, like physically being like, I guess, like rigorously physical for at least an hour each day. And my jog is like half of that. And then like throughout the day at the office, like walking up and down stairs or like walking to get lunch or something like that. Nerf gun That's fights. the other half of that. Yeah, Nerf gun fights, you know, whatever. You know, those those things, uh, the watch quantifies that and says, like, you've been active, you know, this much. Uh, here lately, there's a, an app that, that came out a few weeks ago called HeartWatch that actually uh, monitors your, your heart rate throughout the day. And uh, that has been pretty incredible just to, to go in and see that data. So, you know, the, the end-all be-all of the entirety of this conversation for me is just sort of, it does a few things very well, and it doesn't do, you know, some things very well. And, you know, whether or not that can find a place in your life, everybody's going to be completely different. But for me, it has. And, you know, as somebody who never really wore watches before, outside of like, I don't know, like a Timex weekend or like a cheap thing, sure. um, it, it's, it's been incredibly awesome. Uh, because so, it, it keeps me informed, it tracks my activity, and it gives me glanceable information whenever I want. So do you think Apple is smart to not refresh the tech, the actual like physical technology inside the device for an extra year? And so just to focus on accessories and apps? Or do you think that they should have a yearly refresh on it? I, I don't think that it's necessarily smart as much as it is like just necessary and this is necessity yeah you know i okay. i think that if the technology doesn't exist it's smart of apple to not force that and to release another model that you know is just barely better you know speaking of that they released a new model of the uh the macbook not the macbook pro not the macbook air but the new macbook, the MacBook. with the uh you know the super thin keyboard the the one that comes in colors is probably how people would recognize that um basically the the new evolution of the air uh the super thin one with only one port so 
they refreshed that this week and there were only two changes to it right so read write speed or actually not even read write speed write speed on the internal ssd is you know something like twice as fast and they have a new generation of skylake processors but it's still the the m generation so the the mobile version of it um so you know thinking about that it's not it's not an arm processor like that's in your phone but your phone or your ipad's processor is technically still more powerful than that one and that's kind of insane but <laughs> apple says that hey we recognize that people use their computers in this way you know simply to browse the internet and this will fill that need so any update to it makes sense right um i i don't know necessarily... when it's an easy update i mean that's you just really all they really did was swap out a an ssd yeah 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 for the most part I mean, and you know and that's probably something that was hinged on um on skylake processors becoming a thing and mm -hmm. with the the rumored uh skylake refresh of the macbook pros coming out like you know after wwdc in june i'm uh, i'm pretty excited to see where that goes so i guess we're getting off of the apple watch now probably for good measure because this has been like a 30 minute conversation on <laughs> how boring our lives are and how we deal with information so you know that being said uh, one of the things that I know that you were pretty passionate about, Ark, that you wanted to segue into was encryption and like how people deal with that on a daily basis as well. And not necessarily that. It was actually it came up as part of your uh, your phone question because when you you brought up the iPhone or the uh, sorry the iWatch, you know, one of the things I also never liked about the device was that it just seemed like it was kind of expensive for what it was. Yeah. And uh, today a company in Britain called Siren has announced that they're doing a $20,000 phone. And, you know, that that uh, mobile device, mobile phone, uh, is supposed to give uh, the, the person that owns it military-level encryption and military-level access to technology like GPS, satellite imagery, all that kind of stuff. Okay, so before we so, move any further, Let's sure. let's sort of brief the audience on, on like just encryption in general, right? So, sure. Uh, let let's just go around the table, right, and and talk about like what you think encryption is, and why you think it's important, especially for consumer technology. So, uh, it, encryption to me is basically, and very much like really just math, right? And yeah. it's. How long will it take for me to decipher what this piece of information that has been encrypted, meaning you know it's it's been uh, it's been run through an algorithm and made into something that it isn't? How long will that take me to crack to decipher what this says? And what good encryption versus bad encryption simply means is that it will take longer versus shorter. And obviously, you know, following up from last week, there's been a lot of this in the news lately with the Apple and the FBI thing, um, and you know, just as a quick update to that, by the way, the FBI apparently paid some gray hat hacker like a million or what was million it? Bucks. Yeah, a million bucks. Uh, whatever, you know, and it was a 5C. It wasn't, you know, the it wasn't the thesis of, you know, the, the strongest device on the planet. You know, the, the 5S and, you know, every 6S. every generation afterwards has been incredibly stronger because of the fingerprint stuff. 5C mm -hmm. wasn't in that. But anyway, so that that's what. You know, I think encryption is like Art Murdoch. Would you guys agree? Or um, yeah, I think from a less technological, like you guys are obviously in IT and tech uh, 
day-to-day, I'd say is more of a dumbed-down version for, for people like me. It's going to be uh, security. I, I think of just security, right? It, it depends on um, how secure your device is. You have, what is it, two-stage authentication now, which will give you encryption. To me, it's a good idea if you're uh, one of two things. Maybe you're extremely paranoid that somebody's going to gonna hack your stuff, or maybe you're extremely popular and, and people <laughs> want to crack your stuff. For me, I, um, you know, I'm I'm a n- n- unknown individual. Um, I, you know, I go to work and I come home, and I I have you guys as friends, and I have a couple other friends that you know in in real life that I'm pretty sure aren't gonna hack me. Other than that, mm-hmm. to me, tw- paying twenty thousand dollars on you, buddy, for, for encryption uh, or se- or security or something something like that is it, it probably it isn't relevant to me, uh, and that's obviously just my personal situation. So right. when, when so you, the, go ahead. I'll say, so to your point though, about popularity Murdoch, mm-hmm. the, the person that actually um, put the money forward to do this is like one of the, the main socialite, like Facebook type people in China. Okay. So he, he's someone who owns a Facebook like, you know, web service, exactly like, you know, Facebook right. and is, you know, extremely popular because of it and very, very wealthy and his phone got hacked. And he just decided that he wanted something that was going to be absolutely unhackable. And so he put forth money. They put it on Kickstarter. Kickstarter got a bunch of money, too. And now they're making this device. And, you know, to go back to what we were talking about last week with with encryption and with that knowledge of, okay, you know, what I'm writing, what I'm sending, what I have on my device is safe from other people. You know, it, it is going to who I think it's going to, and it's not being read by anybody else. So if, you know, I'm a bad person and I have access to $20,000, I can now buy a device that the CIA, the NSA, the, you know, FBI or whoever can't get into. Right. So... You know, yes, I'm not going to into the Apple Store and just walking in and shaking someone's hand and walking out with a with a 5C or a 6S or whatever, but I can now buy military level encryption that was designed by the Israeli government, and you know the Israelis know how to do encryption pretty well, so like that's kind of crazy to oh, me. Yeah. Oh, it's insane. Uh, and then and also it's the side of you know who really is buying a twenty thousand dollar phone, you know is it. Is it the kind of person that should be buying a twenty thousand dollar phone to do this kind of thing, or is it you know just another you know piece of gold for me to show off to my friends? That so I, that I, cool that being know. said, what 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 I'd be interested to know is like what is actually encrypted on this thing? Right, yeah. You know when when you say encryption, oh, like, so, is it just so encrypting the, like the communication in and out of it, like via right, voice? Right. So the device via text, itself or? is yeah. The device itself has a two level two factor authentication on it. Uh, which uses biometrics um, and it uses, you know, a, a typical, you know, type in password. Right. It goes through a secure um, set of satellites. It does not go through your typical cellular service providers. You know, all the GPS information to it is, is encrypted. So it's not any sort of open, you know, socket for GPS or anything like that. I mean, we're talking about a hardened device. So something that is truly you know, a standalone, you know, it does not pick up Wi-Fi from, um, from other, from like open Wi-Fi's. It'll only pick up WPA2 that use the proper level of, you know, of, a, of key for it. 
I mean, it's not your standard user level device, which I guess if you have if you have a CEO, you know, I'm just thinking about this, if you know, you're the CEO of Disney, you know, you're worth a lot of money. People send you a lot of really, you know, important emails and maybe you're not very technical and maybe you really shouldn't be trusted with the technology that you have because you tend to just leave it inside Starbucks with it unlocked so people can read your shit. Maybe Maybe having a device like that for 20 grand is just cheap insurance for those companies. Uh, But it still blows my mind that, you know, I'm Bin Laden or, you know, whoever, and I'm going to go and and buy a $20,000 phone that I now know is secure from anyone getting into it. Yeah, I feel like... I feel like if you're if you're that important or that popular or whatever, you're not using a phone. You're good. You're gonna need that anyways. You know what I mean? So I think even uh, it sounds to me more like it's a uh, you mentioned before a piece of gold that you're gonna show off, right? It's like if you if you're that worried about security or encryption or anything else, you're gonna have that anyways. I mean, because and you know to bring up a point, you know, as is really brought forth by like the Apple versus FBI stuff, just normal grade consumer encryption is really fucking good already. Oh, it's really good. Yeah, so to have something that's military grade and like using two-factor authentication via like a satellite uplink is fucking absurd. So, yeah. one, good luck actually like getting that to work here in the US and you know, two, I guess have fun with whatever user experience bullshit they they did around that's that. That's a sick UI, bro. But at the same time, if, if you have a very very low number of people, yeah, you know you don't you're not supporting a massive Verizon style cellular infrastructure. You so do they provide give these like, people really really good services? They provide like the communication infrastructure for that too. Like it's like a sat phone or something, I suppose. Yes, exactly. Okay, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, so essentially you could use it anywhere. Then you have you have a dedicated satellite network for, you know, for Correct. you. I Correct. Mean, I guess that's. I mean, to me, that's more valuable than the idea of encryption around yeah, it. Yeah, I agree. Oh, yeah. Still not $20,000 worth, but I mean, I, I don't have $20,000 right. to blow, so maybe it is. Uh, to buy that or the the upgrade to the Tesla Roadster. Yeah, Rebel the range. <laughs> Tesla Just Roadster. throw this money well, around. No, you can give up, give up the, the, the three and go up to the uh, the Model S. That's, uh, that's what I was going to say. Like the, the Model S got a price jump. Uh, oh, did uh, it? Yeah, it's only like two grand or something like that mm. uh, over the past couple of weeks. But the and this was quite a while ago. Roadsters, you know, Tesla's first car have gone down in price a lot. And by a lot, I mean you can get one for under forty thousand now. Yeah. But um, I think they have a range of something like one hundred and fifty miles on the base model, and the range upgrade for it, meaning like the battery and drivetrain upgrade for the actual Roadster itself direct from Tesla is something like $25,000. Yeah, it's a, it's <laughs> so, a massive upgrade from the Roadster to the S. But if you, want an, if you want an electric Lotus Elise, then that's how you do it. Mm, that's true. That's anyway, true. definitely a huge segue. So yeah. uh, our main topic this week is something that I'm insanely passionate about and that I think goes overlooked on a day-to-day basis and you know I, I guess it should because that's just how technology and the internet works but I basically want to get into the idea of content and the internet and well unavoidably Facebook right so one thing that I've sort of been hammering home to a lot of people and I think it's becoming insanely evident nowadays as someone who works in like advertising and marketing is that you know Facebook rules the internet and when I say that, I mean, like, for anybody that tracks any post of any type, um, 
Facebook is generally half of half of that traffic, right? So like when you go in and you check your referral links and whatnot, uh, the majority of your traffic is going to come from Facebook, which is absolutely insane. And it's gotten to a point that this week the the Verge, um, you know, a, a subsidiary of Vox Media, the Verge is it's a website about you know technology, culture, the intersection of those two things. They are starting a gadget blog, and hosting it on Facebook as sort of like a blogging platform, which seems obvious, but at the same time, like, wh why? Number one, like, why hasn't this done been done before? Um, especially with the recent advent of Facebook Instant Articles. But number two, you know, like, what does this mean for advertising, advertising, marketing, uh, and just content on the internet? Because one thing that, you know, like really scares me is that we, we have all of these things out there, right? So let's say that you're, you're your every average, everyday average consumer, right? You own a Kindle, you have a cell phone, you have a Spotify account, uh, you have an iTunes account. So on iTunes, you buy your movies, you watch them at home on your Apple TV. On your Kindle, you buy books when they come out and you read them whenever, wherever, on the beach, whatever. And on your phone, all your music is streamed to you via something like Spotify, right? All of that content could just disappear at any moment. Like, it could just be gone. And when I say that, I mean that those are services that you pay for, but you're not paying for the content. You're paying for the service. You're not paying the majority of, uh, like, uh, like when you pay for Spotify, you're paying for licensing, yes, but you're also paying to keep their servers up and running to make sure that their data center works and to propagate that data throughout the world. And at any time, Spotify could just say, like, we're shutting down as a service. You know, have fun getting your music elsewhere. And unless or you have Facebook like. Facebook just bought us. Right. And unless you have like a vinyl collection or a CD collection <laughs> or, or whatever, all that stuff's just gone. We're all 90s. You know, kids. if that's we your main CDs, outlet. CDs, right? I don't. I have none of that. And it's fucking terrifying. And I feel like I need to start spending more money on physical media because stuff like that really, really scares me. So much so that, like, you know, a, a really, really shallow example of this is. Uh, an email client that I used to use. Well, two, actually. So, Sparrow. Sparrow came out about, mm, shit, what year is it? 2016? Sparrow's been, Sparrow <laughs> came out like, is it? <laughs> Sparrow came out like five years ago, and it was an incredible Mac and iOS email client, right? Um, Google bought them, the service shut down. Bam, it's gone, it's just gone. This really great service, just fucking gone into thin air. Mailbox, uh, an equally good email client startup, was purchased by Dropbox and not shut down as immediately afterwards, but actually just shut down in February. And for somebody that, and this doesn't really apply specifically to content, but it, it provides a good example of nothing that you do on any of your like devices or any of the technology you use is ever like a stake in the ground. It's always going to be constantly in flux and constantly changing. And as somebody who is like an early adopter of everything and cares and knows a lot about technology, all that's inherently exciting. But also as somebody who's making the transition from like 20 something millennial kid to old curmudgeon <laughs> that cares about things, like that's so terrifying. And the reason I bring that up is so like for, for a blog, like for, for a site like The Verge to start blogging on Facebook, is kind of insane the amount of like 
the amount of, of power they have over the internet. And again, like the reason I bring all this up is because if one day, like what happens if like Facebook just implodes? Uh, what happens if, you know, uh, their data center, you know, getting blown off the face of the earth isn't a good idea, but like, what if Mark Zuckerberg dies? Like, what if all the, the brain trust of Facebook, the people that keep that company running, suddenly, like, go and start their own things or something? Like, all it takes is, you know, like, one domino to fall, and then, like, things are going to start happening and not for the better. And for people and for Facebook to have such a, you know, such a dramatic um, so like a foothold play on how, like, the Internet works is incredibly terrifying to me. Um, so much so that, you know, I'm not, like, a, a huge Facebook user, now, I had about 500 friends on the service, and, you know, that sounds like a lot, but for people that use Facebook on a daily basis, that's not really a lot. And upon, like, hearing news like this and, like, the Instant Article stuff, I went in and, you know, regardless of the data that Facebook already has on me, I went in and, like, removed something like 200 friends, so I'm under 300 now. Um, I went in and unliked all these things that I foolishly liked when I was like in high school and college and I was getting <laughs> served ads about. I went in, like disconnected all these apps and services that I hit login with Facebook with. And, and that really gave me perspective on the fact that like, <laughs> again, Facebook is just this fucking giant and they've been around for so long in the golden age of smartphones and they, they rule so many services and so many pieces of the internet that Something, it, it, something like you know, The Verge starting a gadget blog on there and only there is kind of insane to me. Again, obvious but insane. So, anyway, um, what are you guys' thoughts on that? You know, again, I'm terrified, and we'll probably go out and start buying VHS tapes <laughs> and Beta you know, tape. writing writing Secure. everything I care about down on papyrus. But <laughs> well, I guess and that's and that's what you just said though. Is it's the things you care about, right? Right. So. What is your expectation of the things that you have online? Like the things that I have online, I have no expectation that they will be here tomorrow. Yeah. The things that I have online that I have an expectation or I have a physical desire that if something happened, I want to have a copy of, I have a copy of. In fact, I, you know, just probably two weeks ago, I realized that I had never made physical copies of those silly novels that I wrote. Um, they were all on, on Bnet and they were starting to go into their archive area on Bnet and I was like, you know, one day Bungie might just not have these anymore. They, they might just get rid of their archive stuff and yeah. then I'm going to feel like an ass because I wrote, you know, 250 pages of novels that are now just gone. So, you know, I went on there and I copied them all off and made physical copies of them. And they're, you know, they're now little Word documents and PDFs that sit on my computer. But, I mean, I kind of labor under the idea, the idea that my stuff online isn't really online. And I think that's because I've lived through so many hard drives crashing and having to realize that redundancy and having, you know, you know having one thing of something is not having it at all because it just goes away. So if I care about something, I have it saved places. Well, and even, and if, ahead, sorry, yeah. if it's just on the internet, if it's just on, you know something that is there, if it's my iTunes library and iTunes explodes tomorrow, you know, am I going to be bummed because I spent a shit ton of money with iTunes? Yeah, I'm going to be bummed. But you know, am I going to go jump off a building over it? No, I'll probably just send a nasty gram to Apple and then and, and that's that. But so that brings up a good point. Like to you, is it about money or is it about the content itself 
and the availability. Oh, it's totally the content. Okay. I mean, as an intellectual property person, like the content is what's worth is right. what is where the value's at. Right. It's, it's because not, you paid for it clearly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And and it might be something that you know, like in my case with the the novels, it's something that I labored over. It's something that I put a lot of time into. Yeah. So yes, you know, those are things that, as content goes, I don't want to have disappear. But at the same time, I don't labor under the the ideology that it's Facebook's job to host my shit. Yeah. It's not. It's you know. It's not Dropbox's job to host the stuff that I save on there for free. Now, if I pay for their service, that that's different. But you know, for things that I just go on and I get free access to, you know, my Gmail account. If tomorrow. Google Gmail, you know, which has been in beta since 1999, decided, hey, we're not in beta anymore, and yeah. we're just getting rid of this because we're just going to focus on being a, a, you know, a web search provider, and that's it, and that's all we're going to do. Um, you know, that would suck, but that teaches me for not having some sort of a local copy. <laughs> I, I would say I don't want to make this a uh, kind of a deeper conversation, but what you mentioned about any go deep, any, buddy, go anything deep online. Uh, that actually applies, I think, to to anything, right? Even if you have a physical copy, uh, natural disasters happen, fires happen, uh, people can steal your stuff, people can, um, you know, it, it, you're really any kind of anything physical can be taken from you as well, right? So it's not it's not just that idea of okay, what if Facebook crashes? Then everything that I've published or everything through that is gone because it it actually applies to everything, in my opinion. Right. So, right. so it's almost this mind frame of, uh, again, kind of touching on what Art was saying about expectation. You, you know, we, we publish what we do or create what we do with uh, an expectation that it's going to matter to somebody, not to us maybe, but maybe to other people, maybe only to us, and nobody else cares about it. I think you really just have to boil down to the lifespan of whatever it is that you're creating, right? I, I, I think this is going to be good for now. I'm, I'm typing out this blog right now because it's making me feel better because I'm ranting about, you know, my boss or something. Is that is that doing its job as as a published article? I think so. You know, am I, am I writing down my poetry on paper because it makes me feel, you know, traditional and it makes me feel, you know, poetic? I, I think that's doing its job. So, again, I, I don't know if... It's become a deeper conversation, but it's kind of an all-encompassing expectation of what we're doing for ourselves, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, and I think yeah. so. The the big there's two pieces to that that I think need a little bit like further dissecting. Like the first thing is is that as a society, like as a world, I think we're just enough technologically involved at this point that people are comfortable doing all the things that we're talking about. They're comfortable blogging. They're comfortable buying digital books. They're comfortable streaming music. They're comfortable, you know, having their, their photos being hosted on Facebook or Google Photos or whatever, right? right. Yeah. So when grandparents are, are doing that, that means that it's commonplace. Right. right. And, and those are very, very, again, commonplace things. But at the same time, they're controlled at such scale that for one of those services to, to not fail but to, like, evaporate is is terrifying right. you know like google takeout is a thing you can download your profile on facebook you know the same uh and and still have access to all that data locally and whatnot so you know kudos to them for having those things as, as like a available services but at the same time like it's incredibly commonplace that again like for for 50 somethings to be uploading their their photos and sharing them via like you know 
I don't know, like uh, photos on iOS or Google Photos or, or whatever service they're using is is incredible. The second play, the the second like point that that brings up is like all that stuff that like you care about and that you invest in as a human being that you're placing online that you, you know, whether you have a local copy or not, it, it's not just evaporating for you. It's evaporating for, you know, Facebook has something like 1.6 billion users and three services as such, right? So like Facebook proper is, you know, an application that hosts, you know, photos, posts, you know, stories, shit like that. Instagram, that is, you know, people's, you know, art, for lack of a better term, people's photos, uh, you know, things that people have agonized over, you know, making sure they, they look good enough to present to the world because that's just how social media works. You know, Facebook owns WhatsApp, people's conversation, people's private conversation, you know, conversations, you know, like probably to a point like, you know, some people's last words are probably on WhatsApp. You know, just like think about that in terms of like an existential question for a second. And then also think about the notion that you don't technically own that data and you don't own that content you you put it out there you know one thing that uh, i listened to uh, another podcast uh, called uh, accidental tech podcast it's marco arment casey Liss, and john syracuse and there was one a few months back where they started talking about medium and like blogging right each of them operates and owns their own blog and they've wrote their own cms because you know that's just what nerds do but if you <laughs> if you're somebody like like that that uh that likes to blog you know you traditionally don't do that you go and you make a tumblr you make a blogger or you uh what what the hip thing to do is nowadays to write on medium medium's a great you know sort of outlet for knowledge and whatnot especially in like the tech sectors but again you don't own that data it's not yours it's not on your platform they can mine it they can scrape it they can do whatever the hell they want to with it it's not yours you know you've right. you've given license to someone else to say that like this is mine like, I think back to, like, my days in college and, you know, talking to people about Facebook because I used to put everything on Facebook. I used to use Foursquare. People would know where the hell I was all the time, no matter what I was doing. And, you know, I look back on that and I'm like, what the hell? Like, I, I was embracing the hell out of this. But, you know, I would tell people, I was like, this is, you know, this is my persona digitally. Like, this is so that people can interact with me when they interact with Facebook and that, you know, so that they can keep up with me. And nowadays, not only can I give a damn, but I'm that can I not give a damn, <laughs> but I'm I'm terrified at the fact of that the things that I care about and invest in and place, you know, in you know X service or Y service on the internet, just vanish at at any moment's notice because you know they get acquired or you know somebody sure. you know dies so, or an asteroid. Let me be a devil's died. advocate on it. Yep. Where do you think is more likely to disappear, Verge or Facebook? Uh, well, absolutely Verge, because, like, new media companies come and go, you know, on, like, a right. weekly basis at this point. So um, if Verge is banking on hosting this stuff someplace, and maybe they might realize that at some point they might not exist anymore, if they host it on Facebook, that continues to exist when they're gone. Mm -hmm. Well, and... So... Go ahead. You know, uh, the, the scary part about that isn't that... You know, I don't think The Verge is going under, and I think The Verge and Vox Media recognize that they aren't going under, right? But sure. at the same time, shit happens. Like, again, new oh. media companies, they can turn from being profitable to not profitable in a week's time. And that's just because that the way that, you know, content is, is, is monetized is through advertising, right? And uh -huh. advertising can swing, you know, one of two ways very rapidly and, you know, 
uh, on like an hourly basis, you can be making money versus not making money. And, you know, profitability kind of falls in into the, the column of like, it, it, it doesn't say that, you know, this thing matters, but it allows the person who's creating that content to, to continue to create that content. And, you know, a person working for that service that's creating content for that service or, you know, that blog or whatever it may be, that's different than like your average everyday consumer saying like, this is where I want to put all my things. The reason that I, I brought up The Verge actually beginning to post things to Facebook as like, you know, the, the kicking off point for this discussion was that not only are consumers doing this now, like media companies are doing this now like facebook has gotten so good and so dominant and instant articles are becoming such a thing that you know a website that millions of people frequent on a daily basis is now beginning to publish primarily its content there um or you know i guess exploring the idea of that through this gadget blog uh which is crazy I mean, that, that is just crazy to me because I, you know, a, as someone who, who grew up using Facebook and can literally remember the day, like I found out about it and signed up and got a profile and all that jazz, it, it's nuts to see how that has evolved over the course of, you know, like, you know, just basically like the, the, the timescale of like consumer technology and, and how much, how much vested interest your average, your every average, like Amer everyday average American has like vested into this stuff. It's it's nuts. so with that, like kind of with that, you mentioned this evolution, right? Remember when Facebook was cool, and then it and yeah. then it wasn't cool, and now it's so cool if you're over right, forty. It's cool, it's cool if you're over forty, exactly. So and and now we're in kind of this uh, this transitional phase, maybe not even a transitional phase, of them becoming a main a mainstay, right? It maybe you don't even know that they're they're attached to whatever service you're using, but they really are. The, oh, they're a mainstay. Right, right. Facebook is the internet. Right, right. So, or so millions of so people. So what I'm saying is, one point, however many billion, I don't think something that has that many users and is that profitable can really just up and disappear, for for maybe two reasons. One, it's huge, right? It, you're trying to you're trying to get rid of this this giant thing, and it, I don't know if you can have something up and disappear like that. And two, there are people who are on the other side of us, right, who work at Facebook or maybe an affiliate of some sort or, you know, something that, that uses Facebook for publishing, like the, the, the Verge and, and everybody else that, you know, that uses it. And they're not only making money, right, and that's you know, probably a big reason, but some of them are passionate, you know. Some of them, some of them are thinking, I don't want this to go anywhere because this is my form of outlet and this is my form of uh, kind of a soapbox and this is my form of uh, communication with my friends or, or what have you so I don't know if I mean it, it is scary in theory but I don't how feasible do you think it is that that it can just up and disappear I mean you, you well can, you it, know, some... it's less about it it's less about it up and disappearing versus like the ownership of the content right because uh, you know, the fact that you don't own that and have no license to it any longer after placing it on one of these services means that the worst can happen and the worst being that it can just disappear, right? Right. That right. you've you've given ownership to someone else. I, I suppose that that is the same thing as like you want to put things in a storage unit and well, uh, you know, think about it that way. Like, let's say you buy a storage unit and you put very valuable things that, you know, you hold dearly there. That storage unit company can get sold, but you'll still have access to that thing. Right. 
online services are just ether, are just bits, are just yeah. literal ones and zeros floating over copper wires under the Atlantic. Like, that's all that those that are. Deep, dude. No, that was nice. it's it's <laughs> it's just electronic sen- signals on bare metal. Now at at its at its core, and the fact that I mean we understand that stuff, you know, to a, to a T. We uh, consumer technology is really fucking good now, like absolutely good. But for for companies like Apple, who you know not really like embrace web services or be good at like backend services and stuff like that, where where like this is just like not the future, but the present of of like technology and how data is stored and you know how how things work because data isn't data data is memories and photographs and experiences and people and lives like it's all of these like very crucial human things um it, it's it's just nuts it's absolutely like I, I bring up apple because they're traditionally terrible terribly bad at web services and I I have a few different backups of my photos, but one of the primary ones is on their photo service, on Photos for iOS, because it's easier to share with all my friends that have iOS devices. And, you know, for a company to not be as good at back-end services as another company, and for, like, all of my memories to be hosted with a company like that, even if it is just, (laughs) you know, one one backup of them, is, again, is frankly pretty scary. It... I know that all of this has gotten, you know, we we're just hitting the surface, right? You know, the oh, yeah. the this is this is people's stuff. This is the internet. But I thought it prudent to bring up because it, the evolution of this is is just hitting a point now. You know, hitting a point where you know there there is a dominant owner of the web, and it's Facebook. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. Google anymore. It's it's not the open web. The internet isn't about those things any longer. It's about Facebook. Because to, you know, something like 75% of Americans, like Facebook is the internet. When they get on their computer, they go to Facebook. And Facebook is developing technology and has developed technology that allows them to control that experience, right? So, like, like if you want to read an article or something, you no longer click a link that takes you to that website and lets you read that article. It opens in Facebook, and you read it in Facebook, and then you share it in Facebook, and the ads are monetized in Facebook. Like, that is people's internet. That is people's walled garden. That is where they go for not only their news or their friend updates or their content. That's where they, you know, they put their memories. And, you know, other people can share and revel in those types of things. But the fact that, you know, like, People talk about the government, and it's scary that the government has so much, like, control over this or that, like, where they're taking, like, pictures of their goddamn, like, I don't know, chicken Alfredo on their phone and Ooh. uploading it to Facebook. Like, Facebook now owns that memory of your chicken Alfredo. Like, <laughs> that's yours, and you gave it to them. Dude. And yet you're complaining about, like, paying taxes and, like, your roads being okay to drive on and stuff like that. And, like, you actually having health care. <laughs> it's, it's it's insane you know it's it's absolutely insane like (laughs) i think people are just like an inherently stupid species and it's funny to like point out their shortcomings until you realize that big companies are going to very much keep monetizing those shortcomings and say like you guys want to use this stuff we'll keep making it better and it's just going to be a vicious cycle until one really really bad thing happens and everybody says like we hate facebook and there it goes like like the whole target thing lately Uh, the whole like you guys seen that yeah. in the news with like people saying like 
Target says like transgender people can use whatever bathrooms they identify with. Like that's and people are like really scared about that, but again, like people just keep giving up all their shit to the internet and don't realize the implications of stuff like that. The internet doesn't exist to a lot of people. All it takes is one uh, the the for those listening that don't get the relevance of the Target example, like the relevance is like all it takes is like one bad swing of the media to to really like you know open people's eyes to this one thing and then like imagine like facebook did one really shitty thing to one person one day and everybody said shit we don't want to use facebook anymore like number one where do you go number two like 90 percent of the people that use that service don't know how to get their stuff off of it because it's well, that's not the big one right there is yeah. that people don't actually know where their shit resides to get it off in the end right i mean you know when your your dad's iphone dies and he says, hey, I need all my, my pictures back. And you're like, your iPhone's dead, dude. Like, you know, where, where do you think your pictures are? Oh, I think they're on iCloud. Okay, well, iCloud only backs up 500 megabytes of your pictures. So you a really smart dad no. if he's doing that, by <laughs> the way. But I know. But, but I mean, like, you know, that's that's the, that's the way they look, though. That's the way they, they, they're kind of assuming that someone is just taking care of things for them. Yeah. You know, that's just what they've that, what they've grown accustomed to with, with right. the services. That's, that's People think that, like, in a, in a nutshell right, right. now. Yeah, People so think it's... that, like, digital content is, like, the equivalent of you putting something in a shoebox and then, like, it goes into the safety deposit box that's somewhere. Right. But, again, like, it's a signal on a piece of metal somewhere. And at any moment, a company could get bought or it could disappear or, you know, whatever. Somebody could, like, somebody could just totally fuck up somewhere. And it's not gone, but, you know, it's hardly gone, you know. A mm. copy of it is gone. At some place in existence, it's, it's it's existence, it's gone. Yeah, I would say there are obviously countermeasures to that. You know, not not one person holding the keys to everything and, and that kind of business, but to an extent, you know that we also got to remember that, you know, people that work at these services, they're they're driven by their their usership, right? They have they're the reason they exist and they're this big is because they have that many users, so they kind of. I th they probably have an understanding of we have to maintain this expectation for users so that we can continue to exist. You know what I mean? So there's a, there's that. I think there's that uh, counter argument of of you know people at Facebook they want to stay in business, right? I mean that's what they're that's what they they're trying to do is is stay in business. So I think they're probably going to take uh, some some precaution and and kind of risk management area and future casting and stuff to be able to say okay, what are we going to do if this happens or what are we going to do if this happens so that they can continue to, to, you know, to maintain, to exist. You say that, but there are companies that don't do that well, very yeah, well. I mean, but, but we're talking there about a lot of Apple is a pretty good example of a company that doesn't really ever say that they're doing things for you. Right. Like, that's, that's well, not really what Apple does. In Apple's defense, <laughs> you know, they say that they say we don't want your stuff, right? They say right. we want to take every measure to not like creepily go into your phone and take your things. Whereas if you own an Android phone, you know, there's ad trackers all over your shit. And yep. albeit they're implemented incredibly well. And, you know, there's a, a benefit to the user in that it knows what you want and it helps you, you know, by allowing you to buy those things way easily or way more easily. But uh, I'm much more in tune with the idea of like this stuff is my stuff and this is my phone no matter who owns it or what service it attaches to and 
again, like going back to the idea of Apple not being very good at web services, something like that is terrifying because they make the best consumer hardware platforms in the known universe, in my opinion. And people mm -hmm. put their things on those platforms that talk to the internet and use those services that the company, uh, the company that owns them isn't very good at them. You know, and even uh, nowadays, you know, granted, not very good is still incredibly good, but <laughs> it, it only takes, again, one slip up. You know, remember the, the whole fappening thing that happened? What, oh, was yeah. that was that last year? Like celebrities' pics being uh, leaked and stuff? Maybe that, two years ago, but yeah. That wasn't even like an Apple fuck-up. That was just somebody who went in and guessed somebody's mother's maiden name by like scraping their profile and whatnot. Like... Those that's not even like considered hacking. The the government it's will tell social you, media right. binding basically. The, the, the government will tell you that it is, but it's just people putting themselves nah. out there on the the internet, and it is what it is. And we prosecute yep. it under like a really old school law, and you know people that that do that stuff get you know years and years in prison, even though it's just technically publicly available information. People aren't safeguarding themselves on the internet. Yep. Um, but I found your mom's maiden name. I found your date of birth. I found where you grew up. I found what high school you went to. I right. found all this stuff. Here's your high school mascot. I know that's a question that comes up all the time. I mean, you know, it's very easy to go through and find the answers to those personality questions that people, you know, oh, before we give you your password back, you know, what's your mother's maiden name? What high school did you go to? What was your high school mascot? What was your what's your favorite book that you've ever read? Oh, guess what? I can find all that shit on Facebook. Right. <laughs> and it goes. I mean, it, it comes down to just like the human condition of you know we need to remember what our thing what our passwords are so we're going to ask you these incredibly mundane and obvious questions so that you know if something ever happens and you're an idiot and you forget your password like everybody does that you can access it but that also plays into the same field of people that maliciously want to obtain your stuff because just as easy it is for as easy as it is for you to remember those things, it's just as easy for folks to go out and find right. those things, especially if you're a celebrity. So, the point is, is, is it just assume that nothing you have is safe. That's why just, you need a $20,000 encryption. run around and hide and that's be afraid of the internet, I mean, unplug from it. That's how I've started, you know, like, I, I don't mean to be like this fucking digital hermit, but that's kind of how I've started living life, like, right? Like, I proxy all my traffic. I have everything running on a VPN, you know, whether yep. it be through... Um, whether it be like running locally on my phone or, you know, on, on my router at, at home, like I don't play games with that stuff anymore. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, my security. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's more than your traditional everyday person. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like it's, it's easy enough at this point to do those types of things that, you know, you should just be doing them inherently like two factor authentication. If you don't have two factor on at least like, you know, all your accounts that support it, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, you're, you're really just asking for a hurting. And, you know, like services like 1Password and Dashlane and whatever else is out there, uh, you know, they're really good at, at helping you protect that stuff. And right. people just don't give a fuck. They're like, I don't want to pay $60 for this thing. Why do I need that? I can remember my password. Yeah, you can, and so can everybody else. Well, yeah, that's the problem is people don't understand that, that password Password design is meant to be pretty simple. Like, oh, have eight characters in your password. Okay, that's a really easy password to hack. It is so much more effective to have a passphrase than it is to have a password. Mm -hmm. Have some big 40-character passphrase that is super simple to remember but is, you know, long. So it's not something that someone can hack very easily. You know, I used to love using Lord of the Rings chapters and, like, that kind of thing. Because even just saying... Uh, Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. 
Typing that in is a super, super long password that is going to be impossible for somebody to hack. Now someone would hack that if they would try that. But, I mean, you know, it's it's not something easy to hack, but it's super easy to remember. Keep that in mind, yeah. Internet. Passphrases, not passwords. Mm, it's good to know. I'll tell my hamster. Yeah, there you go. There's something else I wanted to say, but I lost track of it now. My little rant there on passwords. We're amateur podcasters. That's going to happen. I, I go back and I listen to our episodes every week, and I'm like, God damn, we suck at conveying thoughts. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I remember I wanted to say that, and I totally forgot. Oh, oh well. For those of what you that, that, that listen to this, we're thankful that you do. I, love you. I don't know why. We have thoughts, and for some reason you sympathize with those thoughts, or at least like hearing them and yelling in your head about how dumb we are. So, anyway. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, on mine, it's just my daughter listening to our voices and falling asleep. Like, oh, this is nice. Watts is just soothing Ooh, sounds yeah. of, of, uh, of Watts' voice. Maybe we should all adopt a lower tone of voice and a lot slower so that... Hi, hello, everyone. I'll EQ it. Welcome. I'll EQ station. a special edition for Ooh. Addison. <laughs> it all right. Well, I guess that's enough for this week. Uh, we don't normally do a proper outro, but I think we're becoming, we're becoming, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Legitimate enough to where we need to. So I need to spin up all the social media channels for this thing so that, you know, people can share it. Um, so that being said, uh, it looks like the majority of you access us through iTunes and sub via RSS. So we're thankful for that. That's probably the easiest way to get things for us. So the podcast app or uh, or overcast on ios are probably the ways to go for you um for those of you that listen directly from the soundcloud card on twitter uh why uh is my first question <laughs> but but secondly we'll definitely keep doing that to enable you uh also we're now available on google play music which is a thing and i've seen that some people have expressed interest in us also uploading these to youtube so we'll get that done um We'll get all of our past episodes up on YouTube. We'll also get a Facebook page made because it kind of seems silly for a podcast where we talked about Facebook ruling the internet to not have a Facebook page. <laughs> uh, I don't know, dude. That could disappear. We'll we could lose it all. So, <laughs> so moving forward, expect to uh, to see myself, Murdoch, and Art here every week. And uh, you guys want to tell the, the good people of the internet where they can find you? If you want them to find oh, you on yeah, any social media, that is. Uh, just yell yep. me at Twitter, at I-V-I-U-R-D-O-K, if you really care. Yeah, don't don't come looking for me. No, yeah. I'm, I'm on Twitter. It's uh, Art S, or, yeah, Art S-O-H-C, Art. Cool. And I'm on Twitter as well. I'm Ranger Watts. And if you need anything, ask Art and not me. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, a good, a good plan. <laughs>